Well, shalom and welcome everybody to uh, this week's Torah study. As we go through uh, this week's Parshas, which is that of Kitabol. And uh, one of the things I want to go ahead and tell you guys is uh, make sure to go ahead and share this link or share um, around with your friends this study. Say, hey, you know, on uh, Fridays, I go to this really cool study that you can actually do from at home. You could be sitting at home within that of your boxers. Hopefully they don't have their cameras on if they're doing that. Uh, but anyway, you, you could tell people that, you know, that you are attending a study that it is that you um, could do from anywhere. As a matter of fact, every Friday night. And uh, one of the things that we ultimately want for you guys to do is to be involved. You know, you know, come and disagree with me. Come and, uh, you know, let's discuss these things out and all and all that stuff. You know, one of the things that, the reason why it is that we're that we're paying for the for the Zoom and all that stuff is because of the fact we want you guys to participate in this study. We want you guys to be a part of this study and to uh, you know to go and uh, to, to to voice your insight, your chokmah, and all of these things as we go and do do these things. Okay, so make sure to take full advantage of that and tell your friends as well. You know, every week to get in hold to get a hold of us so they can. Uh, also, you know, be involved in these studies. All right. So let's go ahead and start. Blessed are you, Lord our God, Master of the Universe, who has sanctified us in the words of your Torah, Father. I ask, Father, that you help each and every single one of us to uh, have a greater um, understanding of the words of your Torah. That we to give a help to give us a greater understanding of the things that in which it is that you wish to speak to us and to uh, to have come within that of our Pesoni Yud Father, and uh, that you help us to walk more and more each and every single day in your ways. And we ask these things in Yeshua's holy name. B'shem Yeshua Hamashiach All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started in this uh, parshas within that of chapter 28 of the book of Davarim, or Deuteronomy, reading from verses 9 and 10, and I'll be reading this from the English side of the page of the Good Nechomish. And it says here, God will establish you as a holy people, as he swore to you. If you observe the commandments of Hashem your God and walk in his ways, then all the nations of the earth will see that the name of God is upon you, and they will fear you. Now, there's several different things we're going to get to in terms of this. One of the things I'm going to ask you guys, first of all, is, um, and let's hear from you guys here in terms of this. You guys have heard the debate, I'm sure, from many different groups as to whether or not the Torah Shebektav is um, in chronological order. I'm sure many of you guys have, uh, have, have heard this debate, and uh, I want to get you guys' take on this. And I see Jason's over there going, and uh, he's walking around with something on his back there. He's playing around with something. What, what do you got there, man? It's a scythe. <laughs> it's a what? It's a scythe. Oh, I okay. Cut, I got to cut grass for the goats. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, guys, let me let me hear what it is that you guys have to say in terms of this. Um, do you believe that the Torah is in chronological order, or is it not within chronological order? 
I don't think I don't it, think is, it no. is. Okay, Deonta says says that it's not. I heard somebody else speak up there. Um, was there somebody else there? Okay, so we have Deantha who says that it's not. And actually, I will go and agree with Deantha on this one. Because within that of Parshish Yit, uh, uh, Yisro, or Yitro for the Sephardi persuasion, one of the things that we end up seeing within there is that we see this term that is uh, tortative. Now, do you guys know what the word tortative, what that, uh, what that means? Nobody? Okay. The word tortative derives from the word tarot, where we also get the word tortatai, tortative and tortatai are um is is basically different grammatical forms of torot and it is the plural form of the word of torah now the thing that's interesting is that within parshat yitro what we see there is that before the torah is given at sinai we see that it is that the word torative is used there which is the again the plural form and this deals with not only with the torah which is written but also the Torah, which is oral. Now, first of all, the the uh, uh, the Torah Shevetav, first of all, was not given at that Sinai at that moment. Now, in terms of Torah Shebi'apei, this is in many ways had to be established by that of the Shoftim and of that of the sages of Chazel. This is what had to happen, and so these things have not transpired yet. But at the same time. There is still a reason why it is that there is an order of the way that the uh, that the text plays out the things in which it is that it's that it's talking about. There's, there is in many ways a an order in which it is that it's arranged, though at the same time it's not necessarily chronological. And this deals with the ideal of concepts. So very late within this parshat. We have this statement, which I will read again. It says, God will establish you as a holy people as he swore to you. If you observe the commandments of Hashem, your God, and walk in his ways, then all the nations of the earth will see the name of God is written upon you, and they will fear you. Now, this entire idea of the observation should cause us to, in many ways, look back at the two previous parashiot, which we covered. Last week, we, we covered Kitetse, uh, and before that, we had Parshat Shoftim. Now, within these two parashiot, we see that there is this running thing that, that, that ended up coming into play. First of all, we had, first of all, listen to the rulings of the Sanhedrin. We talked about why it is that that's important in terms of the idea and the premise of a Mashiach coming, let alone a Mashiach that's coming twice, that is found within that of Tadashi Abiyalpe. We talked about this. Also, in, in Kitatse, we end up seeing how that attribute through you know the series that I'm doing with that of Rabbi Shalom Arusha's book, the Guard of Peace, a marital guide for men, how it is that Tarashe Bialpe 
plays a great deal into the attributes of marriage. And so when we come upon this statement here of basically, uh, you know, where God is saying that we are to be holy, to be sanctified unto Hashem, and to walk in his ways, there is something that has to have come before this in order in the diatribe within the Avatar, in order for us to understand how this is done, how this is to be. And a great deal of that has to do with the things that it is that we have read recently, the last two parshiot. But also, there are things within this parsha that go before this as well. Now, before it is that we get into that, you, um, here's a Hebrew word here that I'm going to see if any of you guys know what it is. And if any of you know what it is, and it's within this verse here, I want to see if it is that you guys know what it means. Okay. Anybody know what this word is? Going once. Going twice. Okay. This is the Hebrew word Shem. Okay. The word Shem, if we were to translate it literally, uh, outside of the realm of outside of the realm of Hashkatha in the way that it's meant, you know, uh, technically it would translate to the word name, you know, and it talks about the name of God. Now, many people go in memories. We see verses like this. They will try and gravitate towards and push <coughs> sacred name theology. You guys have all run into people that have been a part of the sacred name movement. I'm sure that have tried to say the F to say, you know, the four letter name of God a particular way and that God's not going to bless you if you don't. And they also try and add many different letters to the name of the Messiah and all that stuff that is not found within any of the 3,000 uh, documents within that of the ancient Aramaic, the modern Aramaic, and the modern Hebrew. Um, you, always try and see, you always end up seeing an extra uh, a letter hey added in there for some reason because whenever there's the letter Yod, they say, oh, well, you know, the letter hey has to be within there. But yet we don't have a single document that has Yod, Shen, Vav, uh, I, and Hey, or, or Yod, Shen, or Yod, Hey, Shen, uh, my gosh, I'm just totally, totally goofing this up. Yod, we don't see one document that says Yod, Hey, Vav, Shin, Ayan. We don't have a single one that, because they all uh, don't have the Hey within there. And so, you know, the thing about it though is that, but you know, that's beside the point. But the, the, the thing about it though is many people don't understand what actually this idea within the Hashkafo, the worldview of that, of those during the time of Moshe Rabbeinu and those during the times of Yeshua, within that of a Semitic culture, halfway around the world, 2,000 years ago, what this actually meant. This, this term would be better translated today directly, to be better translated as personality, characteristics, basically the things that make you who, you, who it is that you are. And we can prove that this is the way that it is because, first of all, within that of the Talmud in Avodot Zarab, 18a, I believe, is the citation. It says that any person who goes and tries to enunciate the four-letter name of God, which, is, which, which actually says the divine name, or who say the Tekiah, 
the resurrection of the dead is not a biblical concept, has no share within that of the Olam Haba. Now, the thing is that the reason for this is because of the fact that God, the reason why it is that we call him Hashem when we're referring to the name, is because of the fact that God is on a much higher mandraga than we are. You know, you can think of, in many ways, uh, you know, e and each of you can answer this. Your parents, how do you refer to them? Mom or dad. Yeah, mom or dad. Why, and why is it that you don't refer to them as their, by their first name? Uh, it would be deemed uh, disrespectful. Absolutely. Absolutely. When, when you were a child, for instance, you know, and uh, going through school, you know, your teachers would be Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, you know, be out of respect, you know, and all that stuff. And so when we think about this, and individuals who, uh, you, know, um, you know, have a role of authority here on the earth, you know, and we offer them that kind of respect, how much more respect should the creator of the entire universe be getting from us? That's something to think about. We're not on the same, same, you know, level as him. You know, we shouldn't pretend that it is that we are by saying, oh, Jack, you know, if his name is Jack or something like that, or Joe or Baba Booey or whatever, you know, you know, we, we don't have that kind of disrespect toward, towards that of God. And that's, a, and that's a major, a major part of, you know, why it is that we, you know, find that individuals who, speak Hebrew, no Hebrew, who are involved in Judaism, don't use a variation of the four-letter name. But, you know, we see there's, you know, this, this big goof-up that happens. And, and do you guys know how the sacred name movement really started? Do you guys know the history on this? The black Hebrew Israelites. <laughs> Say what? The black Hebrew Israelites. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if that sect is very old or not. I... I I don't know anything no, about the about those cats except for the crazy videos I see. <laughs> they're yeah. they're an interesting group. They get the um, ones uh, more creative on the names. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I you know, and the thing about those that I'll go, go ahead and tell you. Um, and I actually talked about this on one of my radio programs one time, and I actually made the Yabba Dabba Doo Bible within fifteen minutes as the pro as the uh, as the broadcast was going i had it up to sell for 999 dollars by the way within 15 minutes of the radio show and you're saying you know how in the world were you able to able able to do this in 1993 uh the united states um senate and uh, had passed um parody law that was to protect musicians that you know like weird al and all those guys that would make parodies of songs, you know, and all that stuff. And they said, if a person goes and takes a pre-existing work and they change 10% of it, they can then go and file a copyright saying that that is their own work. Now this doesn't, you know, necessarily work in the same way. You remember there was a lawsuit recently where this one band had gone and sued Led Zeppelin because Stairway to Heaven uh, the, the, the music part of it was actually a part of their song before Led Zeppelin had ever released their way to have it. it. It doesn't protect people in things such as that, you know, but, you know, you could do a parody of something. So what happened was during the late 90s, what ultimately ended up happening was the formation of something called PDF files. 
And these were digital books that you can download or documents you could download online. And they were becoming very popular and very, very prominent. And then at that time, you also had organizations like Lulu and Cafe Press that were popping up where people can become their own publisher, you know. And so what happened was people found out that by using the 1993 parody law, they can take, you know, for instance, a uh, NLT Bible or a King James or a NIV or an ESV or RSV and go and change um, certain words into Hebrew words such as, you know, instead of Sabbath, we're going to put Shabbat. And then we could change Jesus to Yeshua or, you know, any variation of that. And then the four-letter name of God to something else. I can actually go online and sell an NIV Bible and do enough of that to where 10% of the text is changed to where it is that I can go and sell it as my own work. And so this is something that became very prominent at this time. And this is what it is that you see in the late 90s, early 2000s is when these sacred name Bibles started to sprout up all over the place. And it's because of the fact that people found a marketing opportunity. So what happened was they started to press sacred name theology. Because if you have an individual who is, you know, learning a little bit about the Torah and the natural progression is people say, I've been lied to, you know, and all this stuff, they, they get very conspiratorial. Well, one yeah. of the good things, well, one of the things that can happen is they're going to get conspiratorial about their Bible. And so what happens is if a person goes and propagates, well, you can't say Lord, you know, because it's the word Baal, but the word Baal is used all throughout the Bibles in, in, many, way, in many ways in the Hebrew. In a positive context, it's actually the word for husband. It's the word for master. It's the word for, you know, several different things, you know, and it's not always used in a negative context, but a person who doesn't know Hebrew, they're not going to know that. So these newbies will fall straight into this trap. <laughs> And they will say, well, you know, we're going to give you a Bible, make a, you know, give you a link to a Bible that you can purchase that has the true names and all that stuff. And this is where you end up getting a lot of these goofy names and all this stuff in it. You know, it's, it, it happens rather often. And so this is one of the verses that they will ultimately end up using. And we can prove that, first of all, that this is not the way that it was meant to be used because, it, first of all, throughout the, the entire Torah Shebek Tav tells us not to uh, engage in witchcraft. Now, what do witches do whenever it is that they are trying to summon a, a, uh, an entity? They chant a spell. Yeah, they chant a spell. Certain pronunciations and all of these things are going to bring them special favor from entities and different things. And so the thing about those, you got to ask yourself, how is this any different from that of the sacred name movement it's the exact same thing yeah i've actually wondered that a lot actually because you get a lot of people that'll say that you have to say it a specific way otherwise it's actually not only not going to be heard but might do the opposite of what you want you know or or things like that and then it becomes this thing where you end up controlling the thing which is yeah totally against our Absolutely, absolutely. Now, 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 let me ask you, Jason. Did you ever fall into that trap at any point within that of your walk? Because I, I know that many people have. Um, not not entirely. I, you know, it, it gets confusing when you start stepping out of the church and starting to look more into Hebrew and everything. You start trying to figure out, well, what's the real truth here? 
uh, and what should you be doing. But I mean, that, that just comes with the territory and you kind of realize very quickly who's way out in left field and obviously a little goofy and who might have something, but it's not really proven and, and so on. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah that's something that I always end up asking because it, it always, you know, it's it's always interesting to me because you know i was a part of that at one point you know early on in my walk and then you know the thing about those after you come Are come out the of this same you kind as of, the hebrew root movement say that again was that the hebrew root oh okay. yeah yeah, the, yeah there's a lot of that in that absolutely absolutely um you know, but you kind of come out of it and you say to yourself, you know, how, how in the world did I fall into that trap? You know, so I, get, I always get interested into the psychology there. I really do in, in terms of that, you know. Uh, but, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, but that was a little sidestep in there that might have kind of derailed us a little bit here. But I just thought that's important to point out. But, uh, yeah, you know, in terms of this verse, you know, with this in mind of realizing how the scripture builds upon each other. Though in many ways, it is not in any way a uh, part of that of, um, it's not a part of um, actual chronology. Now, the thing about it though, is that first of all, the thing that we ultimately end up seeing here is that, you know, throughout this, God goes into this entire diatribe of, you know, becoming Zedekim. They're becoming righteous and all these other things. And this plays a great deal into another part of this parshiot. And we're going to bring up another Hebrew word here. And uh, if I spell it incorrectly, I, I, I apologize. I'm pretty sure I'm spelling it correctly. But it's uh, the word Sadi Dalit Yod. There we go. What we have here is the word sadik, okay, which means a righteous person. Now, if I add the letter hey at the end here, it becomes a different word. It becomes the word sadaka, okay? Now, the word sadaka is translated into charity, and it's also the word that is used for tithe as well within that of Hebrew. And so when we see from the words of the Messiah in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says within there that, um, that, uh, that your zedachah, your righteousness, or no, I'm sorry, your, your sedichum, your righteousness, should supersede that of the porshim. Okay? Now, this is in relation here to the, uh, to the Torah portion when we go to chapter 26 verse 5 okay and it says in over here in deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 5 you shall hold the basket and say out loud uh before hashem your god levan the amarian uh wanted to destroy my father yalchov and his sorrows did not stop there he went down to egypt and lived there with a small family and a group of 70 souls We'll get into that whole thing of 70 here in a little bit. But he became a great and powerful and populous nation then. And throughout this entire chapter here, it is talking about Zedekah. 
Now, many people go and say that that uh, that zerha, charity and the tithe was not necessarily monetary, that it was, you know, the fruits and, uh, you know, the things from the animals and so on and so forth. But we see several times within that of the Torah, Shebek Tav, as well as Torah Shebi that not isn't necessarily so. We find this with the whole thing of the Moxa Shekel, you know, where it is that the tabernacle had to be maintained and built and all this other stuff. We also find this within to that of the Ba'is HaKmikdash. But when it comes to Zedekah, it shouldn't be about the building. It shouldn't be about, you know, the, uh, the salary of the staff. It shouldn't be about, you know, advertising in any of that, in any of those things. Here's something that a lot of people don't realize. Within that of the Ba'is HaKmikdash, there was a room where it is that people would go and give their zedakah. Now, first of all, they didn't get tax write-offs back then like they do today. Now, with this, at the same time, is they would go and give their zedakah in a basket that was in the middle of the room. It would be one person going in at a time. They would put in what they could within that of the basket. Now, those who were in need would also be in the same line. And there was kind of an honor system where they would take what it is that they needed from the basket. So in many ways, what happened was the community was, you know, doing their part of Zedekah, which is in relation to Zedekim. But at the same time, it wasn't about building the ministry as we see today. Let me guys, let me be honest with, with you. You guys have seen other ministries that are very similar to what it is that we're doing at lapidjudaism.com. How many times have you gotten emails from people saying, you know, we need, we need to raise $10,000 today. You guys have seen those emails, right? Yeah. Red alert. <laughs> you know, the fact is, let me, let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you how some people are really being taken for a ride here. And I'm going to get a lot of hate mail about this. Here's what it is that we do at lapidjudaism.com. We have our own podcast server. We have our own radio station. We have our own Roku channel. We operate two websites. Anybody want to take a guess at how much that costs us to operate every single week? Anybody want to take a guess? Oh, and we have this as well. We have the Zoom study. You're going to be surprised. Surprised in a good way. <laughs> Anybody want to take a guess? 200 bucks. Chop that in half. <laughs> That's what it costs us. That's it. That's it. Every single month, just $100 to do all of those things. Now, you've seen other ministries do not even a half of the amount that we do. Say they need $10,000 every month to operate. And, and this is the reality of it. This is the reality of the situation. People are going to think that I've outed them here on this broadcast here today. But, you know, the, the, the thing about it, though, is that that's not what ministry is about. It's not about, you know, um, you know uh, well, you know, help me to get the message out and all this other stuff. No, dude, you need to put together your – you need to go and do your own work and do – you know, first of all, go and worry more about those who are in need as opposed to, you know, making sure that your broadcast goes up today. You know, that's much more important. Yep. And within the Guf HaMashiach, sadly – you know, have you, have you noticed that that doesn't seem to be a, um, that doesn't seem to be anything that people 
focus in on anymore. One thing that I think that I see a lot of, honestly, is ministries that are really focused on being no frills, but very honest in their approach and trying to really be careful, tend right. to um, have the least followers in the sense that, uh, you know, the followers' ears aren't getting tickled as much. So it's harder for people to, you know, you have to be serious to be in, in into that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I see a lot of people with, you know, huge, huge demographics, but it's all fluff and it's terrible and it's, you know, nothing but lies really. And, but yet, you know, I've seen, I, I don't know, a handful of ministries that I think are doing great that seem very small, you know, yeah. in, in comparison. You know, and, and, and you want to know what the reason why I think that is, is, you know, this is, this is just from my own observation. This, and this may not be the same all across the board. But the, one of the things that I've noticed is that there's a different group of people that are in the synagogues than there are online. That's true. I know, I, I know the studies online, but I know it's a much different group of people. And I see Deantha shaking her head. Do you, do you have something to share there in terms of that, Deantha? Not really, but I went sometime, a few times to the synagogue, and it's true that the people are different there than the ones that I meet online. That's true. Yeah. You know, like you, you take for and instance... It's, and they treat you different in the synagogue when you come from outside also. Yeah. See, one of the things that I always found odd is that, you know, you guys know that my, that my radio show is on terrestrial radio, you know. And it's interesting because terrestrial radio and also iTunes is not, you know, which we put the podcast of these up on there for free. You know, the thing is that, the, you know, that's not a social media uh, kind of thing, you know. And, and the thing with that is that through those, you know, the, the, the show gets, you know, about 150,000 downloads every single week in terms of the MP3s. But it's, but it's, but it's interesting because if I go and I put these teachings up on YouTube, it's like, who the heck is this guy? And it's, it's so weird because it's like two totally different groups, you know. It's like when you come from, you know, the, you know, going and doing things on the ground level, you're doing things within the community, doing things in the terrestrial level and all that stuff. And then you try and, you know, segue it into the Internet. It's like it's like like two totally different worlds and it's really odd in many ways it's really odd you know but um you know that's one of the things that i've noticed noticed there but yeah um now in terms of this let me go and pull up my notes here there was something else here in terms of that um uh, da, 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 da. okay when we go to chapter 27, verse 8, and let me go ahead and turn there. Am I boring the heck out of you guys today, by the way? No. Okay. If, 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 if I am, just let me know, because <laughs> I have been known to do that at times. Uh, let's see here. Uh, print so small here. Okay. In chapter 27, verse 8 of the book of Davarim, it says, You shall write upon the stones the words of the Torah very clearly, rendered into 70 languages. 
Now, here's the thing, you know, maybe people go and talk about this and people think that what, what actually happened is that there were stones around the land of Israel that uh, were written the Torah, the Torah Shevik Tov, in all of these languages. Um, and they think these things actually existed. Is that exactly what Hashem is actually saying to do here? I want to hear you guys' take on this. No opinions on it? Um, can you um, say it one more time? I didn't hear it. My interest really slow. I just didn't hear what you said. Okay, not a problem. Yeah. The, uh, was there actually stones with the 70 languages, the Torah written in 70 languages set up around the land of Israel? Was that ever a thing? Actually, the answer to that is no. No. There never was. Why does the Torah render this? Any, any, any idea as to why it is that it says to do such a thing and what is being meant in doing so and what is actually being implied here? Was it okay. meant for the future? No. No. Actually, it was meant for that time. Let me, go, let me go ahead and tell you guys, all right? Now, we, what, we, what we understand here is, uh, are you guys are familiar with Rabbeinu Bachia. Rabbeinu Bachia was one of the great sages of the, of the 11th century. He actually lived in, uh, in Saudi Arabia, actually wrote in Arabic, but he's actually one of the great Jewish sages. In fact, the Ramchal says that he read Rabbeinu Bachia's work or learned, I'm sorry, not read, learned Rabbeinu Bachia's work, Havot La Havot, Duties of the Heart, over a thousand times. And what Bachia says in terms of this is that the 70 languages deals with a concept known as Shavim Panim Latorah, the 70 faces of the Torah. Do, does anybody here own a copy of what is called Medrash Rabbah? Nope. Okay. Well, um, I'll go ahead and give you guys a little bit of a brief history as, as to what it is that uh, the Medrash Rabbah is. The Medrash Rabbah is what they refer to as Shavim Panim Latarah, the 70 faces of the Torah. Usually what I end up seeing from many, um, I, I see this from, um, well, I, I don't want to mention the names of the mysteries, but some of these uh, missionary ministries that, um, you know, are doing a good thing in trying to get, you know, the Jewish people to believe in that of Yeshua HaNotzri, you know, which is a great thing. But one of the things where they often fall is when they go and they quote the Medrash Rabbah. So you say the Medrash Rabbah is bad? No, not at all. Not at all. But the 70 faces of the Torah deal with 70 different interpretations of every single line of Torah that is outside of the realm of halakha, okay? The halakha is set, you know, we get that from the Mishnah, we get that from Shulchan Aruch, we get that from, you know, those, those uh, uh, you know, rulings of the Sanhedrin that we talked about earlier. You know, that's where those come from. Now, with the Medrash Rabbah, however, 
you have 70 different interpretations of what this particular passage could mean, okay? So when a person goes and tries to quote the Medrash Rabbah and say, well, look right here, it says right here in the Medrash Rabbah, it's talking about Mashiach. Well, the thing is that, you know, I, I would first of all end up looking at some other text other than the Medrash Rabbah based upon that because there'd be 69 others that say that's not what it's talking about, you know? <laughs> so you see how that kind of tends to be an issue there. You know, uh, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, I can pick out one interpretation. It's like, well, you know, you can't go and bypass all the other ones at the same time. It's not intellectually honest to do so. But the idea for Shev'im Panim Latara, the 70 faces of the Torah, is to help a person to be able to understand it. For the, in terms of the seven, rendered into 70 languages, meaning to go and have the Torah be instituted within the land of Israel so any person, doesn't matter from what nation it is that they are a part of, will be able to understand what is being done within the land of Israel and be able to learn the Torah of Hashem in a way in which it is that they will be able to better understand. It's about, you know, in many ways people tell me, you know, um, Many of the women I've dated have said, hey, dummy, Christopher, can you tone it down? Can you dummy it down a little bit? I hear that rather often. And at times you guys have probably heard me go off on, you know, using tons of Hebrew and Aramaic and be like, wait, 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 what, 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 what's he talking about there? You know, I hear that rather often. And so, you know, basically what Hashem is really telling them to do in many ways is to kind of make it to where it is, to where it's obtainable for that of the nations. They make it obtainable where it is that everybody will be able to um, to understand what is being said and what is being taught. Okay. Any well, questions, comments, criticisms? Well, one thing I was going to say that kind of piggybacks, piggybacks off of that a little bit is one of the ways, since I'm, I'm kind of in a, uh, a, a Jewish black hole, if you will, and uh, one of the things that I've been doing to help learn is to take a inner linear and to write out the Torah by hand. All um, right. And one of the things that was surprising to me with doing that was oftentimes, and I have a feeling, Christopher, you'll understand it because I think we're probably the same in a lot of ways, but taking the act of actually writing it out by hand not only commits it to memory better, but it's like I've tried to tell my wife, it's like, it's like you're spending time with it and it yeah. gives your mind time to absorb it. And it, it blesses you in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And oh yeah. It's such a, it's such a um, I mean, it's such a rudimentary way of doing it, but I've learned so many things and um, have caught so many mistranslations by other people just by doing this simple thing that uh, it's amazing, you know, what you can get out of that. And that's not even diving into all the other wealth of information that's out there. Um, and that's something that, you know, it's a, it's a long, tedious process, but anybody that's interested in doing it, I think it's a great, a great way to, to learn for, uh, or even, uh, you know, the Brit out of shot, um, yeah. going through and writing out Matthew and then writing out the references that Matthew takes in Joel or Isaiah or, or all these other things, and you look at the complete thought of what he's referencing, you really start to see exactly how that ties 
in with with everything that's being taught and it really exposes a lot of the lies that some people are trying to perpetrate well absolutely as a matter of fact you know when you were talking about that i had to have i have this on my desk over here are you familiar with this uh no this is uh franz dalage and he actually renders it um and it's uh franz dalage's hebrew translation of the greek of the oh. new testament and it's and, and it's all hebrew there's no english so you know i mean if you're ever looking for you know something to do that with with uh Brit Hadashah, there's that and first fruits of zion did the gospels where you have the english on one side and the hebrew on the other from franz dalage and franz dalage was a great scholar in terms of that and you're right you know one of the things i remember is there was a girl i dated for a while that uh one of the things she had me do is she loved hebrew and was wanting to learn hebrew and so what I would do is every night I would go and do a recording for her of me reading two chapters of the Torah every night in the Hebrew. And, you know, there's so many things that when you do that, you know, you're really, you know, like you said, you know, gravitating towards things that other people don't see. Like, for instance, you know, the word dirt or earth is found all throughout the book of Bedeshi. And it's so yeah. interesting because it's always with the word Adam a lot of the times. And the word for dirt or earth and all that stuff is Adama, which is just one more letter added on to Adam. So, you know, my, my brain's sitting over there working, wait a minute, Yeshua went and spit into the dirt, you know, put, the, put it on the, the blind man's eyes, you know, and all this other stuff. And man was made from dirt and all this other stuff. And so, you know, we, we get into that, to that idea of using it and doing it, and we get so much from it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You start seeing things that you would never get from just reading it, you know. Oh, yeah. And I'd always end up making jokes when I had to go through the, the part that I always hated reading was the genealogies, because I would totally <laughs> goof those up every single time. Have you tried yeah. reading the genealogies in the, in the Hebrew? Haven't tried writing out the genealogy. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, if you get it there sitting in front of you and writing it out, it's like, oh, yeah, I can do this. But, you know, sitting up there having to vocalize it, you know, in oh, kind of, of a course, rhythmic yeah. way, you know, it's like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> that was never fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Let's see here. A anything else in terms of that there? Okay. Any, okay. Now, uh, I think that's basically all that I had in my notes, but I want to make sure that we got everybody, you know, everybody's questions here. And for some reason, looks like, uh, Amy Malek sent me a message here and he's in the thing or, or is it, or is it his wife? That's, no, his wife sent it to me. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 We got a couple of Jason's in here, so I'm having a hard time figuring out which one's which. Hey, can you go back over why the name is not used and the source? in english please um lol i love hebrew but i'm not sure i totally understood you okay was that was that your wife there that was asking me that, that that's my wife yeah okay she's knocking on the door talking to you there <laughs> yeah she was trying to uh, get my attention to, to ask you that <laughs> absolutely absolutely we can get a little bit more into that absolutely um it is actually in avadot zorah now let me see if that's one of the tractates i have with me over here I need to clean off this desk at some point. Now I got Berchot over here and Baba Metzia. Uh, man, I went over Baba Metzia a couple of weeks ago and that's still on my desk over here. No, I believe it's Avodot Zarah 18A, if I remember correctly. 
And that's, and we'll get a little bit more into that history to kind of help you out here. Um, you guys remember the guy that did Yeshua's bris? And I believe it's Matthew chapter two. His name was uh, Shem, uh, Simon the Righteous, right? Yeah, Shimon. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's a guy in the Talmud that uh, may have been the same Shimon. We don't know. But his name is Shimon Hazadik, which actually goes to Simon the Righteous or Simon the Just. Can be translated the same way. We don't know if it's the same Shimon. It very well could be. But um, the four-letter name stopped being mentioned um, within that of the, of, of the synagogues and within that of the culture upon the death of Shimon Hazadik. Now, here's the history of, I want to say this is in Yoma 85 in the Talmud, if I remember correctly. It's in one of the Yoma 80s in the Talmud. It's somewhere in there. And within there, it talks about the life of Shimon Hazadik. It talks about a great deal about upon, you know, when it came close to his death. Now, it was said that Shimon Hazadik could not die until he met the Messiah, which we, you know, if it's the same Shimon, we see that it's very possible that he did Yeshua's bris and did indeed meet, meet the Messiah. Now, in the last several months of his life, there were amazing miracles that, had, that ended up happening. One of the ones that comes to mind is that usually it would take 20 people to open the doors of the Baisak Mikdash. They would have to get these really hard pulley systems and go and open them. Shimon Hazadak would walk up to the doors and they would come open on their own without anybody opening. And usually um, when he knew he was going to die, whenever it is that upon Yom Kippur, he went into the, he went into the Holy of Holies and a figure dressed in white would always walk in with him. This time a figure dressed in black went in there with him and he knew he was going to die. And then he died right after Sukkot. Now, many people go and put the birth of Yeshua somewhere around the time of Sukkot, sometimes a little bit before, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, during Sukkot, you know, and all these things. Now, when Shimon ended up um, dying, it says within the Talmud that the four-letter name, the Tetragrammaton, ceased to be spoken because of the fact that Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, had left the Holy Temple. And so that's when it is that we don't see any longer the four-letter name of God being rendered within religious texts. We don't find it anywhere within that of Brit Hadashah, within that of the Greek, nor within that of the earliest Aramaic. Um, and, and even the much later Hebrew manuscripts from, you know, I think the earliest is like 14th century. We don't find it in any of those either. You know, and so we find in many ways that within that of the Brit Hadashah, within the New Testament, they were following the Halakha by not rendering the four-letter name within those, uh, within, within those, those texts. And then we ended up starting to get into some manuscripts such as the Aleppo Codex in the Leningrad. And you guys have probably seen people say that this reveals the four-letter name of God because they would have what is called Nikud, these little dots and all that stuff that you see me put over, over here. And what this does is it helps to render sounds of these letters and also the vowel sounds that may come afterwards. Nikud doesn't really mean vowel pointers, as some people think it does. It actually means pronunciation. It helps you to pronunciate the letters and the sounds that come after them and even within them. 
Like take, for instance, this letter can make two sounds. It can make an SH sound if a dot is over here, or it can make an S sound if a dot is over here, okay? So, you know, it helps with the pronunciation of the letters themselves a great deal. And so we have documents such as the Aleppo and the Leningrad that many people claim, well, this goes and shows us through the Nakud that is within there how to pronounce the four-letter name of God. And so this is where we get the term that the Jehovah's Witnesses use, this, uh, this Yehovah, or as the Hebrew, some in the Hebrew roots, you know, Yehovah. But the thing about them is that there's several issues with that as well. And this is something called Kure and Katif, okay? This was done on purpose. You know, some people try to say, you know, oh, you know, the accidentally, the scribe accidentally went and put the vowel points in there, put, put, accidentally put the Nakud in there, you know, and revealed, you know, and it's like, no, this was done on purpose because they put the same Nakud in there for the word Adonai to, to point to a person that when you're reading this particular part, don't say Hashem, don't say, you know, uh, any variation of the four-letter name. Instead, say Adonai. And that's why it, why it is done. Because technically, you take, for instance, the word Yehovah, there is something that is done within that of, um, with texts that have Nakud that, and those that don't. When you have a Vav that makes an O sound, it is representative because the Vav can make three different sounds. It can make a V sound, a U sound, and an O sound. Okay, those are the three sounds that it can make based upon the Nakud. Now, the thing with it is that if I were to say it was that I was going to, uh, okay, let's take, take, a, take an English word. I was going to do the word Josh, okay, which would, we'll, we'll make it as Yosh, okay? Well, let's, let's say, well, you know. And so in the, if I were to put that into a scroll, it'd be written like this. If it wasn't in a scroll, and had how instead Nakud, it would be written like this. Hey, Chris, Christopher, yeah. we can't see it. Oh, you can't see it? Okay, no. uh, let, me, let me try and move over here. Okay, let's see here. With, without Nakud, it would be like this. Everything oh, no. below Hashem is, is cut off. Okay. If I did it over here, would you be able to see? Yeah, that'll work. Okay. Okay. This is the way that it would show up in a scroll. Okay. Now, if I were doing it in a text with Nakud, however, I would write it as this. Okay. I would start, I would have a little dot right there where that where that vav is that would come after that of the yod. Okay. So that would symbolize that there was a vav there in the scrolls that made an O sound. And so it is shorthanded that way. Okay, and this is found, we find this in, the, in, in like the name Joshua, uh, which is Yehoshua ben Nun. You've, you've seen the, um, the crowd that says this, what, what do they say it is? They say it's Yahusha is what they say, but they discredit, you know, the, the Nakud, so they add their own little vowels in there, and they don't pay any attention to this little Nakud that is called a Cholam, okay? The Cholam is there to, to replace a Vav that makes an O sound. So the thing is that, the thing with it is that you take, for instance, the word Yehovah, it would be reliant upon that of having two Vavs, okay? We don't find any scroll under the sun 
that has Yod Hey Vav Vav Hey, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, this is, you know, one of those things. But Sikure and Kativ, which means what is written and what is pronounced or said, um, is something that is, you know, been within practice, you know, within ancient codexes to preserve the four-letter name by having it not be spoken by going and, you know, going and putting in the Nakud there saying, whoa, 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 don't pronounce a four-letter name, pronounce instead Adonai, you know. And so this, this right here goes, it dates back that tradition, you know, so far back. But some people who don't know the history, you guys have probably seen people like Nehemiah Gordon going and trying to push this idea of, oh, you know, it's, it's pronounced this way. We have scrolls that go and show this. It's like, no, dude, that's Kure and Kativ. Everybody knows this, you know, and so – you know, uh, does that does that answer your wife's question there at all? Hopefully she'll send me a little thing to let me know if I need to get any deeper into that. Oh, she's sending me something right now, I think. I see a little typing thing. Um, yeah. Well, we did, we did uh, watch your video with uh, Matthew Bartlett on that, too. Or not Matthew Bartlett, but um, 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 what's can't think of his name. He lives in Israel now. Oh, um, uh, Travis Pace. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we saw that video, and that was very interesting as well. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, you know, and that's something that, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people go and fall into the sacred name movement. I fell into it when I was early on in my walk. I really was. And I think it took me probably about a good, you know, uh, probably about three or four years until I started to question. I was like, wait a minute here. Here's the thing, you know, here's the thing that got me every single time. So I'm sitting there going, those who don't know Hebrew are the ones that are saying this is the way to say the four-letter name of God. <laughs> but those who know Hebrew are the ones who are not saying it. Yeah. So either everybody's a part of a big conspiracy that nobody knows anything about, or there's something more to this. You know, and yeah, so all, those, uh, <laughs> all, all the slapdash people know better than all the Jews that have been studying it forever, you know. Oh, exactly. You know, and, and, and it's funny. I remember when the, when the synagogue was open, we had people that would come in there and they would say, why aren't you using the word, you know, the name, whatever, you know, and, 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 all, and all this yeah. stuff. And I would be like, okay. And I would go and go, I would go up to the beam. I'd go and grab the Torah, the Torah scroll out of the case. And I'd be go, okay, go ahead and start reading. And they're sitting up there going, uh, the, 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 you know, and I'm like, oh, so let me get this straight. You don't know Hebrew, but yet you know the four-letter name of God. What other rabbits do you have in your hat? <laughs> Did they at least know to go from right to left instead of left to right? <laughs> oh, so, some, some of the times, it was, you know, and they're, and they're like, oh, well, I'm, sp I'm, I'm speaking Paleo-Hebrew. I'm sitting there going, this isn't written in Paleo-Hebrew, dude. <laughs> it's, it was always funny. I had one guy so mad at me, he actually ended up punching me in the synagogue. It was hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it's some pretty, pretty good stuff. Okay, your wife sent me another message here. She said, yes, I love, uh, love asking a rabbi questions. You flesh it out, thanks. Now I'm going to go chew on it and come up with 10 more questions later. <laughs> Great stuff. Makes me feel better about, about JC and my caution in our learning. Okay, excellent. Well, guys, do you have anything else before we wrap up here? Any other questions? Or even if you disagree with me, it's always good to disagree. You know, all the rabbis of the Talmud disagree all the time, you know. But that always helps us to get to a deeper understanding of things. Yeah.
I need to get going because the sun's going down. I still have a few chores to do, so I need to get on. Not a problem, brother. Not a problem. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, end it out, and I want to wish each and every single one of you guys a good Shabbos. And Jason, it's great to see you, man, finally. You know, you're kind of looking in the shadows there for a while. You know, we're glad that you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to be here. (laughs) Excellent, guys. Well, I'll catch you guys later. All right, sounds good. All right, bye. Cool.